I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 16, Revelation chapter 16, and we'll begin at verse 2, but let's, let's open with a word of prayer, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, we thank you for just the uni- unity that we have in Christ Thank you, Lord, for uh, the body of Christ that that brings us together today. Uh, We may not even know each other. There's uh, there's guests here visiting, but we can worship together. We can come together because of Christ, because of the blood of Christ. Lord, what a precious gift that we have of the church and being able to, to gather together. Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would bless. I pray for clarity. I pray for understanding. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just allow us to comprehend the depths of this word. And may we, may we be enriched. May we be encouraged and sent on our way informed. So that it changes and affects our lives and that we... We begin to live these things out and it begins to change our perspective on the way we live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible says that the heart, we see this in the Old Testament, that the heart is deceitful, above all, desperately wicked, desperately sick. Uh, that's what we see. That's the, one of the verses that was read to us earlier. The very core of man is sinful. It goes down to his very nature, who he is. And theologians call this the doctrine of original sin. It, it came to us from Adam. That one sin, that disobedient act that Adam committed, that Adam committed was actually transferred to our account. It affected his nature. It affected his heart, his identity, who he was. He went from a person that was compliant and submissive to God, his creator, to a person that was disobedient and rebellious toward his creator. And it affected his very nature. It affected his nature, who he was, his very core and we need to we need to understand that many people in the church today do not understand that in the early church in the 300s to 400s there was a man named Pelagius and he taught just the opposite that Adam's sin affected him only and it didn't pass on to to anyone else we are not rebellious we are we are he would say neutral or we he might even say that man is basically good but we know that from Scripture that is just not, that's not true. In fact, he was labeled a heretic and he was thrown out of the church. Adam's sin did affect man. It affected every part of man. All of man. Now we're not as sinful as we could be, but every part of us is affected by, by sin. Christ himself said that evil comes with, with inside the man, out of the man. In fact, he would go on to say that man has a stony heart. And that's a description of man's nature, his heart. In fact, it's a, it's a pretty good description of salvation, isn't it? 
where God reaches down and takes out that old stony heart. This is part of the new covenant. Remember, God reaches down and takes out that old stony heart and puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to to God. It's in tune with God's Word. There's a hunger. He places within that person a hunger and thirst for, for righteousness. They begin to seek to please God. They want to grow in their love for God and love for God's Word and love for God's people. That's what we see. Again, that's the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Now, Not that we're perfect. We know that. But we love God. And we love what God loves. And we hate what God hates. It changes our very core, our very nature of who we are. The problem is, is sometimes we don't see it. We don't see it. Because man has learned to manage our own sinfulness for the good of society. I mean, the laws and and the order that we have in our society. And so it's very easy for us to be fooled. And if we just go by sight, we just go by looking around, man looks pretty good. I mean, we were friendly enough, we're, we're good moral people, we're pleasant to be with, we're, we can be very helpful uh, to our neighbor, we're friendly. But let me tell you, the cutest little baby, the most beautiful woman, the, the most handsome, strong man, those darling children, they are evil at their core. Evil. Wicked. That's what Christ taught. This is what the whole of Scripture teaches. This is the bad news before we get the good news. And contrary to what we see, which remember last week we even talked about, we do not live by sight. Our theology is not that come from sight. It comes from, from faith in the Word of God. We do not live by what we see, but we live by what the Word of God says. And the very nature of man is not good. It is not even neutral. It is evil. It is evil. It is in rebellion against God. We are wicked people. We are wicked people. And it's all always disappointing. You get to know that beautiful woman or that handsome man and you realize, eh, manipulating or arrogant or lustful. And you begin to see the sins of these of people. You, you take that little baby into your home and you begin to realize, eh, there's a sinful nature in this little baby. He wants the attention. He screams and cries. And that's our plight. That's our plight. We look good on the outside, but the reality is that we are sinful. The heart is not good. It is not good. Now last week, we saw, we just looked at chapter 16 and verse 1, and we saw God's command to these seven angels to, to go out and pour His judgment, these seven bowls of judgment upon the earth. And that's what these angels do. And we'll start at verse 2. This is God's judgment upon the earth. It's being poured out in this time of tribulation. In fact, this is the end of the tribulation period, and he's pouring out this judgment upon man. But now, let me, you need to understand a little bit about judgment, is that it's, it's pressure. Now, we have pressure today. And this is intense pressure. This is right before Christ comes back. Christ likened it to the birth pangs of a, of a woman who is about to give birth. This is the most intense most intense. But it's pressure put upon man in different ways that God knows how to, to pressure. And what pressure does, it reveals the heart. It exposes the heart for what it really is. And what we begin to see, when this pressure is put upon man, we see, uh, we see sin. We see the 
revelation of the heart. Now, we're even told, if you remember back in chapter 3 and verse 10, that uh, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. That's that time of... of, uh, of uh, the tribulation period, that hour of testing. And that's exactly what's going on here. It's testing. God is pushing man. He's, he's wanting man to, to ex- be exposed to his own sinfulness so he, he sees himself for who he really is. Then that's what we see. The heart is exposed. And the heart, when it is exposed, it is evil heart. It is a heart that actually hates God and is willing to even go to war against God. It's in rebellious. So that's what we'll see. When the unbelieving human heart is tested, it reveals a wicked heart that is at war with God. That's what we'll see in this passage. And you can see the question here, what is the characteristic of this heart? And I want you to, we'll look at that. There's, I think, five characteristics that we'll see. But what I want to do today is just move through these six bold judgments. And then I want to see the results of that and we want to apply it. So it's very simple. The first principle, though, um, we can see in in verse 2. We'll start at verse 2. But the principle, let me just state the principle for you. Christ uses pressure to expose the heart. Very simple. Christ uses pressure and judgment even to expose the heart. This is intense pressure. This is the most, this is the hardest of the hard. This is the most intense. But look at verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. He poured it upon the earth. Is the obedient angel is the first one. And this is going to be one right after the other, after the other, not separated like we've seen in the other judgments. But this is one right after the other. And this is poured upon the earth. And the effect of it is upon man, upon flesh. And it's, it's upon the earth, by the way, these earth dwellers. Remember, that's a key phrase in the book of Revelation. Those who dwell on the earth, these earth dwellers, it's affecting them, and it's affecting them in sores. These festering, painful, incurable eruptions on the skin. The description here is this inflamed, oozing um, ulcer. And Christ has used these before. God has used these before with the, the nation of Egypt uh, during the plagues. These sores came upon man. Even we read uh, the same word is used for Lazarus. He had these sores upon himself. Now this is only upon those who took the mark of the beast. Those who worshipped the beast. The, 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 like I said, the earth dwellers. Remember, if you didn't take the mark of the beast, uh, you could not buy or sell. So virtually everyone. Everyone's pressured to take this mark of the beast. And they were worshiping the beast. And God's putting pressure. And this is what's interesting to me. It's interesting that God uses pain as judgment. It's interesting to me that, that, that God does that. He pushes us. He uses pain to, to pressure us. And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. Because pain gets my attention. It hurts and and when you have pain you're you're praying you're saying lord what is going on why am i suffering why am i going through this this should get their attention it also judgment like this pain exposes the heart so often so easily now we know this we've seen this before it's a good test it it uh it pressures us to be exposed to our own sinfulness now we know that because we 
we spank our children. There's a sting. There has to be a little bit of pain. Now, we don't abuse our children. We don't do it in anger. But there is a sting there. And there should be a sting. Because it uh, it gets their attention and exposes, listen, you are not supposed to be this way. And you are this way. So you need to be corrected. And and correction can happen. And that's what God is is doing here. There's judgment. But this is this is also pushing. This is a test. This is for men's good, actually. God is being gracious in this. Verse 3, look at the next one. The second angel poured out his bowl upon the sea, and upon the sea, notice, and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. This is probably a, a thickening, a coagulated blood, darkened. Uh, and I'm told that this is happens from time to time. The last time... It sounded like it happened. Uh, I just doing some reading. Uh, in 1949, this happened off the coast of Florida, and uh, and things began to wash up on the sea. And it's called the Red Tide. I never heard of that before. But this this is bigger. This is worldwide. Seventy percent of the the Earth is covered with water, and so everything uh, in the water dies. It becomes thickened. There's no evaporation that can escape or very little evaporation. And, and so it affects the hydrological cycle. No rain. There's a problem there. And of course, then you have decay and disease. And Dr. Henry Morris, he said, he described it like this. In this text, in this toxic ocean, nothing can survive. All the billions of fish, marine animals, marine reptiles, and the uh, invertebrates will perish. They're going to die. Further, poisoning, he goes on to say, poisoning the earth and uh, contaminating all the seashores of the world. And there's a lot of seashores. This means death. This means decay. And this means disease. And disease is just inevitable in this kind of situation. It's an incubator. It's just going to bred. It's going to breed. And it's what's amazing to me is that God uses disease. We know that in our own church here, don't we? Last year, men, just this year actually, men have had disease. Now the Lord's cured those. But He uses those diseases to put pressure upon us. He uses problems to put pressure on our lives. And it's actually a good thing. He wants to expose our heart. He wants us to, to see. And James says, even James chapter 1, he says that consider it all joy when God puts those things on you. Why? Because it exposes our heart. It tells us who we really are. It tests our character. Those are good things. And these, and the, the result here should be good, but we'll find that it is not. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Here's the third angel. He pours out his bowl upon the river and the springs of water, and they became blood. Now the same thing then happened to the fresh water. Now things are getting serious. A man has to have water to survive. And God's taken that water away. He did the same thing to the Egyptians, didn't he? Remember that, that plague. This is very similar. In chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, we know that this star, Wormwood, hit the earth and one-third of the fresh water was taken away at that time. So they know how precious this water is. The two witnesses and in Revelation chapter 11, they had the power to shut up the sky so that it would not rain. And now the fresh water is contaminated. The fresh water is gone. It's a matter of time and man will be dead. 
man will be dead. Now you say, that's unfair. God is just not right. He, he cannot do these things. Now, just in case you think that, and that's, that would be maybe the natural perspective of man to, for man to have, an angel chimes in just at this point in verse 5. Look at this. And I heard an angel of the water. Now that's interesting. This angel is titled the water angel. He might have been in charge over the, all the liquids of the earth and this has affected him. But here's what he says. This is a third party and here's what he says. Righteous are you who are and were. That's God. Who are and were. You are outside of time. You didn't have a beginning. You didn't have an end. You don't have an end. Who, who are and were. You exist. It is referring back to the great I am. And he says, righteous are you. This is the right thing to do, he says. Right thing to do. Because you judge these things. You judge these things. You have the proper perspective here, God. From our perspective, oh, it's not fair taking away our water. I mean, that, that hurts man. He goes on to say, and look at verse 6. He's, here's the basis of his comments. He says, For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Or they are worthy of it, literally. And that's the right perspective. Sometimes we have the wrong perspective. We think, and we, we get pretty mad at God. And we need to have the right perspective. The right perspective, a third party perspective, is that God is in the clear here. He is right. He is right. In fact, the altar chimes in. This is a personification of the altar. If altars could speak, and the altar speaks, and he, he says this, and I heard the altar saying, yes, he, he's, he's agreeing, yes, he's agreeing with this angel. Oh Lord God, the Almighty, you are the Almighty. You have been patient for so long. He says, true and righteous are your judgments. Your perspective on this thing is right, God. You have the, you are doing the right thing here. That's just, uh, just a little bit of a, an encouragement to us. To, so we, we think that, um, you know, oh, God is being too harsh, but we have to pull back and say, no, these people deserve this. They deserve it. This is the right thing for a good and holy and righteous God to do. A third party, objective observer would be able to see these things, and they can. They can see this. And they would conclude that the heart of man deserves to be punished in this, in this way. In this way. Look at verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the, upon the sun. <clears throat> and it was given to it to scorch man with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat. Now let's just stop right there. This is now, this is again getting serious. I don't know if this is some kind of supernova where the star is getting ready to burn out so it burns a lot brighter and a lot hotter or if this is just sunspots. But, but normally the sun would be a, a relaxing thing. It, it's a purifying element to, to man's life. And they may go out to, to be uh, help with the purifying of these sores and yet they get scorched. The sun is, is hotter than uh, hotter than it should be. And it's like fire. Now this is again predicted. This is prophesied back in Isaiah 24. Uh, he, he told this is going to come during this time of, of uh, tribulation period. 
But notice what's happening here. In the middle of verse 9, they're beginning to recognize this. They're beginning to put things together and say, this is not natural. This isn't just a freak of nature. No, this is supernatural. Supernatural. Verse 9, he says, and they blaspheme. Here's the response. And they blaspheme the name of God who has the power over these plagues. They're connecting dots. And they're shaking their fist and blaspheming God who has the power of the plague. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Wow. The heart, the heart is exposed. The heart is exposed. This is not natural. This this is obviously an act of God. And they are shaking their fist at God. The heart is exposed. Look at verse 10. One more before we apply. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became darkened. And they gnawed their tongue and began. Because of the pain, and they blasphemed the Lord, or the God of heaven, because of their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Again, heart is exposed. Now, this this uh, this fifth bowl was poured out upon the beast. Now, the beast he's the one in charge of the earth at this time. He is being he's a puppet. He's being controlled by by Satan. And his whole kingdom goes dark. Now, I don't know exactly how that is, but we see that in the Old Testament and Scripture. It's predicted in Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 3, that the day of darkness, this is a day of gloom, this valley of decision that Joel is talking about here. Zephaniah talks about uh, thick clouds of, of thick darkness. Even Christ mentioned darkness and, uh, of the sun and the, the moon will not give its light going to be dark. It's over the kingdom of the Antichrist. The kingdom. Now that's kind of frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't you think? So who's the God here? God is showing himself. Look at the power that I have. I'll just take away your light. That's my son. So I'm going to take that away. I'm going to take away the light. Now you can struggle about. And that's what's going on here. Again, pressure. It's pressure upon God, from God upon man. And we see they blaspheme God. They will not repent. Now here's what's happening here. Um, they, they did not repent when God was gracious and He threw out the gospel of truth. They, they would not repent then. And now they would not repent when God is revealing Himself through His wrath. You would think God's grace and God's wrath, both, they would move the heart of man to repent. But they don't. Instead, they they blame God. They don't blame their own sinfulness. They wind up blaming God who who is just the one correcting them. It's much like we do with parenting, isn't it? It's much like that. We... uh we spank our children. We, we help them to be in line. We help them to see these things. And yet, many times they wind up blaming us. Oh, it's, it's your hand that spanks me. It's your belt that spanks me. And the reality, no, it's your own sinfulness. Now, if we can catch children at a young age, what we're trying to do is expose them to their own heart. And show them, look, Daddy has the same problem. Sometimes God has to spank me. 
Daddy has the same problem. It's not, it's not me. I'm just trying to keep you in line. I'm just the one God's using. God is correcting you. And that's the right way to look at this, folks. And this is the right way. Um, and what we see here, essentially, is that we have a child, let's do it this way, a child being held by his parent and the child slapping the parent in the face. He's suspended. He could fall at any moment given the, the desires of that adult. And that child just keeps slapping God. Slapping the parent. Or it's like the, the dog that, that bites the hand that feeds him. That is, is just irrational. Irrational. Now, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me go back. I want to point out, MacArthur said this. He said this about this passage. He says, this is the most shocking example of hardness of heart in history. In history. They've seen the grace of God. They've lived under that grace of God. This seven years now, they've seen the wrath of God. And you'd think, again, they would be repentant. But what you see is just the opposite. Man's heart is hard. So much so that they're willing to go to war against God. And the Almighty God, He is infinite, He is true, and He is righteous, He is holy, and He has determined that this is the right thing to do. And yet, they shake their fist and will not repent. They will not repent. And you might think that, uh, you might think the human heart would turn. Maybe some did, but in majority, they did not. They did not. So here's what we have. We'll see some uh, the character exposed. We have three characteristics. I just want to point these out real quick. Three characteristics of the human heart. First of all, it's irrational. This is irrational. This is not right thinking. This is God's water. This is God's Son. They are completely dependent upon God. God has given their body the ability to heal and he has held that back. And now they have sores. This is God's judgment. And it is so foolish of them not to repent. So foolish. Irrational. It's irrational. The Bible would call it foolish. It's foolish. Who do we think we are that we can provoke God? That we can slap God's face? That we can continue to rebel against God? And God never retaliate. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now listen, even in this, I said, God is being gracious. God's goal, God's desire, even in this, is for them to repent. Is for them to change their heart, but they do not, they will not. The second characteristic of, an unheart, of a hardened heart is this, it's unrepentant, and I mentioned this. But characteristics of this unrepentance is hardness, or you might want to say stubbornness, or the Old Testament word would be stiff-necked. The resisting God's rule. God will not rule over us. We will not have that man rule over us. That's what they said about Christ, isn't it? This is independent spirit, you might say. And this is, folks, is their last opportunity because you don't, after verse 11, you don't see the opportunity for repentance anymore. It's over. God's grace, God's time of grace has ended. There is no... They did not repent. And it's showing a heart that's unrepentant. And then the third characteristic of a hardened heart is it is blind. It's just blind. They don't see the truth. 
They, they're fighting against God here and they think they're on the right, but they're on the wrong side of this, this war. They don't see it. They don't see the truth. They don't see righteousness. Even the angels, objective angels, they can look down and see, hey God, you're doing the right thing. These men are wrong. They're blind to this. And it's because of the hardness of their heart. They will not repent. They will not soften toward God. Now you say, well, we're Christians. Now let's apply this real quick. We're Christians, so we don't have to worry about this, right? Well, let me, let me show you. Christians, there's a danger. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, this is in the context of exposing the heart for really what it is. Hebrews chapter 3. Now, what we're using is the book of Revelation to help us understand some very difficult passages. And and Hebrews sometimes is a difficult passage. And I, I want you to understand it. Look at verse 12. Take care, brother. Take care. Now, the author of Hebrews, the, the situation is these, these Hebrew, these Jewish community of churches, they're, they're going away from the faith. They're going back to uh, the traditions. And they're saying Christ is not enough and, and we need this legalistic element to our faith. And, and he's saying, now, now take care. He says, take care, brethren. That there not be any one of you, of you, an evil heart. Any, in any one of you, be an evil heart of unbelief. An unbelieving heart. An evil, unbelieving heart. He says, and examine yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure that there's, there's genuineness in that heart. Make sure of that, he's saying. Be careful of that. How are you going to know if it's genuine or not? Well, look at verse 13. But encourage one another day after day. So we live life and, and we recognize we sin. And so we encourage one another. Hey, don't, don't do that. Don't, no. God would not be pleased with that. We, we confront one another. We move on through our life. And, and he says, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called day. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's, that's that hard heart. In your daily course, as you're moving along, as you're encouraging one another, then you come to someone and say, hey, boy, you really shouldn't do that. That is, that is sin. That is wrong. And the hard heart would rise up at that point and say, hmm, no, I'm right. No, I don't care. And he says, be careful. Be careful, because it, it's exposing, you're holding on to that sin, you're holding on, and you're exposing that heart for really what it is, it's a hard heart. And that sin, that sin, just that little small sin, we hang on to it, it metathesizes, it turns the whole heart hardened, hardened. For we have become partakers of Christ, They've seen the truth. They've, they've been exposed to the truth. And he says, if you, or if we hold fast the beginning, hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end, there's a perseverance to the Christian life. That perseverance is within repentance. Now that you get, you need to get that. It's in repentance. Now these people in the book of Revelations, they would not repent. They exposed their heart for what it is. An unbelieving heart. But this, he's saying, just 
Go by your daily life, encouraging one another. And as you do that, if that, that hardened, that heart gets hardened, then, then it's exposed. And he says, now if someone does not follow through to the end, then there's questions. Then there's problems. He says, but those who have been exposed to the truth of God's word and then reject it. That's a concern. That's someone that's their heart is becoming hardened and hardened and hardened. They've been exposed to the truth, but they do not care. They do not repent. Now, that's a concern. We'll come back to this thought in just a little bit. But here's what you have. Go back to the book of Revelation. God, God's final call to repentance here was met with unrepentance. They would not repent. They would not repent. And the last two, uh, two judgments, the seventh, or the sixth and seventh, uh, bold judgments, we see the consequences of that. God has, is essentially confirming them in their unbelief. And He's, He's already doing that. He's already exposed their heart. They're unbelieving people. They're not going to repent. Even though God's gracious, even though they see God's wrath, they're not going to repent. So here's the next principle, number two. When the heart is exposed, we see a heart that hates, essentially hates God. And that's what we see. It's a, it's a hatred toward God. So much so that here's what happens. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the king, kings from the east. Now, uh, this is, this is not an assault on all of humankind, is it? You say, this is a strange judgment just on one river. What's the big deal with, the, with this river? This isn't to the whole humanity. Why? Because God is setting these things up. The heart has been exposed. The heart has been already judged now. And now He's leading them into essentially devastation and destruction. Here's what's happening. The, uh, this river is a significant river in the east. In fact, uh, it starts at the north in um, Asia Minor, northern uh, in, in Turkey, um, Modern day Turkey. And it's, and it flows from the, the ice melt, the snow melt from the, uh, from Mount Ararat. And it flows 1800 miles and it kind of builds a, a barrier and it flows into the, um, Persian Gulf. And it's a natural barrier for Israel. Somewhat to protect Israel. Now, up to this time, this river probably, because of the intensity of the sun maybe, has melted all of the snow and, it, and maybe just at flood stage or even over flood stage. And all of a sudden, this river runs dry. And what does that mean? That means Israel is exposed. Israel is exposed. The kings of the east very easily could come in and just wipe Israel out. And that's exactly what Satan would love to do. And... And God is essentially setting a trap here. Just like He did, if you remember back when He was dealing with Egypt, um, and He opens the Red Sea, and the children of Israel come through, and He leaves that sea open enough for Pharaoh and his entire army to come through, and then He closes that. He has just opened this, this path for the kings of the earth, the kings of the east, to, to come right through. But let me tell you, it is a trap. God is saying, Come right ahead. Come right ahead. If you want to fight me, then war is what you will get. And that's what we see. 
Look at verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Now that's kind of interesting. It's coming from the, the, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Ultimately, it's coming from Satan. But this is the unholy trinity is, is what we see here. Satan is the source and he sends out all of these unclean spirits or three unclean spirits and they're like frogs. They're kind of slimy. They're kind of, or they're cold-blooded and they have a message, a seducing message to these kings and this message is we can take him. We can get him. Now we might see them, he used the word frogs, we might say slithering snakes. You know, you just... It's snakish. They're just going out there. They're just smooth and just very seductive to these kings. And they persuade these kings, we know where he's going to be. Let's go get him. Let's go get him. And they perform signs. Look at verse 14. For they they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Now, who in their right mind would go up against the great God, the great day of God, the Almighty? Who would go against war? People who are deceived. Deceived by by Satan. But they think they can win. He's, he's sent them out. He's sent uh, out this message through these spirits thinking, we can get them, we can get them. And so they meet God. And look at verse 16. And they gather together uh, to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Or Armageddon. And you know the story there. And there's a battle. Uh, really, it's not much of a battle. Christ just wipes them out. There's not much of a war. They buy into Satan's lies. It was a trap. And God takes them and consumes them. Their hearts were exposed. They deserved everything that they got. Now, lest Christians who are reading this get discouraged, there's a little bit of a parenthesis in verse 15. Behold, just remember, I am coming like a thief. You don't know when I will come, I will show up. Blessed is the one who um, stays awake. And that's exactly what Christ said in Matthew chapter 24. Be alert. Be alert. He stays awake and keeps his clothes on so that he's not um, walking about naked. And men will not see his shame. No, this man is alert. Why? He knows that Christ could come at any moment. Christ's coming is, is almost there. It's almost there. So there's this little brief moment of encouragement for Christians. Now, now what do we see here? Let's just step back. We've moved through this passage. What we see is these first five judgments were actually a call to repentance. And these, these men, these earth dwellers, they refused to repent. Their hearts were hardened and they ignored the call and they were confirmed in their unbelief. 
And God says, okay, then let's meet for war. And Satan sends out his messengers. They all come together and we're going to meet Christ. We know where he's going to touch down. We know where he's going to be. We're going to get him as soon as he's in this vulnerable spot. But there's a problem. This is the God, the Almighty God. They are, they are in the wrong. Their hearts have blinded them. Their hearts have blinded them. Let me show you um, another part of this, this hardened heart. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. I just want to keep going back here because there's some parallels here that you need to know. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. We just want to, we want to see some parallels for our own heart, our own life, so we can apply these things. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says this, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. What? No longer, Christ isn't, isn't, that, that's no good to us anymore? No, if you continue to see the truth, be exposed to the truth, be exposed to God's grace, be exposed to God's wrath, and still do not repent, and just continue in your sinful ways, then Christ has no effect to you. You are in serious danger. Now that's what was happening at the book in, in this, uh, with the Jewish community here that the author of Hebrews is, is uh, addressing. They just continue on in their sinfulness. And he says, look, you're in danger here. Your heart is exposed to be a, a hardened heart. Wake up. Be, be alert. He goes on to say, verse 27, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fiery, and the fury of the, of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Now he's quoting there. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies. I mean, even if you are under the law, which these people were wanting to go back under the law, you should die. Anyone that sets aside that law, breaks that law, he dies. Or without mercy, on the Old Testament, of two or three witnesses. Now that's what, that's what used to be. He said, so much more. How much more? Severe punishment. Do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God. Now that's what they were doing. They were exposed to the truth. They see God's grace. They see God's wrath. This spiritual reality begins to, to awaken in their mind. And they realize they've trampled under the foot, under their foot, the Son of Man. The Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, and has regarded an unclean, as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit is there. And he is exposing them to this truth. They see God's grace. They see God's wrath. The Holy Spirit is working. And they, they just continue to reject. They continue to not repent. And then the final warning is in verse 31. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation. These people are falling into the hands of an angry God. They have marched right into God's trap. And He will spring that trap on them. And He did that through Satan. Now let's just apply these things just quickly. Folks... Let's, let's look at the, the second part. Here, 
The third, you can see, uh, was it the fourth? The fourth principle here of a hardened heart. It's it's deceitful and deceived. Deceived and deceitful. Satan was deceiving them and they were they were deceiving themselves because that that heart. Now here's a hardened heart. Here's the principle is easily influenced by Satan and demons. All Satan has to do is tell his demons to spread this lie. And that's exactly what they do. Folks, we have to be careful. Satan's lies are in the air we breathe. It's in the water we drink. It's all over. And, and, and it just permeates the whole society. You say, how does that happen? Let me give you some pointers here. Shallow understanding of Scripture. Shallow understanding of God's Word. That's what we have today. People think they know the Bible. They think they have an understanding, but it's a shallow understanding. Number two, inconsistent hermeneutics. The way they handle Scripture is inconsistent. You see that today. You're more susceptible to Satan's lies. Number three, detached from history, the history of godly men. This is what we do on Sunday mornings when uh, Tim presents uh, a a moment in church history. We want to connect back with these, these godly men. We know that God has used them and worked in their life. And we look at their life and say, what did they do? We need to have that attachment. We need to understand that so that it will help us guide our way, make sure we're not falling into Satan's traps and lies. And then number four, they redefine. Just redefine terminology of Scripture. And that's a danger. And we're, we're easily swayed by Satan when we do those kinds of things. And that's a deceived, deceived heart. And the last one, you see that there. Characteristic of a hardened heart is haughtiness. It's just haughty. That's the biblical terminology. The word is proud. It's proud. How arrogant is it to think that you can win against the Almighty? It doesn't, doesn't even make sense. It's irrational. It's blind. It doesn't make sense. So how do we apply these things to our own life? Let's apply them. Number one, we examine our own heart, don't we? It, one little sin can expose if that heart is, is true if it is, it is a believing heart or is an unbelieving heart, and it, it can metathesize, there's a little term that just, it, it just permeates and becomes hardened, even exposed to the truth. Number two, be ready to be tested by the Lord. The Lord loves to test the heart. And folks, we as Christians should welcome that. Lord, uh, examine me. David said, examine it. Look at my own heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, expose my heart. Put that pressure on me. Put that pressure on me, Lord. I welcome that. That's a way of applying this. And number three, we'll close, is don't be fooled, folks. Don't be fooled. We look around at beautiful people, handsome people. But there's not going to be a utopia. There's not going to be a time when we can eradicate sin from this earth. There's not going to be that kind of thing because men men are evil at their core. That will never go away. It will never go away. You can write as many laws as you want, but we will never control the hardened heart. It, it can only be judged. And it can only be judged by one way, and that's God bringing that judgment. 
It can be exposed. And we should be those who say, Lord, expose me. If there's anything, Lord, that's in my heart, if there's any that little sin that would take hold, that, that would expose a, a heart that's... Lord, let me repent. Let that heart be softened. Let that be a, a heart of flesh and not a cold, stony, hard heart. And that's the, that's the attitude of the believer, isn't it? It's the attitude of a true, genuine Christian. It's a soft heart, heart of flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, may we take these things to heart, apply these things to our own life. This is a heavy message. This is harsh to see Your judgment being thrown down to the earth. But Lord, may we be aware that You are a God of wrath. You are a God who has the right to judge. You are in the right. We are in the wrong. Help us to help us to see that, Lord. Help us to take care of any sin that would be in our hearts. Lord, give us soft hearts, a love for you, a, a repentant heart. May we not be stiff-necked and independent and and just wanting to go our own way. But Lord, give us continue to give us grace. Give us grace. And we thank you and praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You could see me anytime today. You, uh, or I'll be out on the floor. You could see any of our elders. Or even during the, uh, during the week, if you want to stop by, please do so. These are spiritual things. Uh, give, and they're weighty things. Give thought to these things today.